So let's get into God's Word. Uh, can you open your Bibles to Luke chapter 13? Luke chapter 13. And we're making our way through this chapter. Uh, we're going to take the next section now. Luke 13 from verse 18 through 20. Now I already prayed for God to bless the Word, so we're going to get right into our study and our message tonight. I was reading about this uh, commander that was visiting and inspecting the troops that were on the front line one afternoon. And as he was walking around, suddenly these sniper bullets came out right at him. And they came from this nearby hill right past his head. And the shot made him run into the bunker. Well, he snapped at the colonel shouting, locate that sniper immediately. Well, we know exactly where the sniper is. Sir, the colonel replied calmly. Why is it that you don't take care of him then, demanded the general. Well, the colonel explained, this guy has been sniping from this hill now for six weeks and he hasn't hit anybody yet. We decided that if we take him out, they just might replace him with someone who can shoot. So the one thing, one thing is for certain, allowing him to live means we're totally safe. I like that. Well, as we return to our study in the book of Luke, Jesus teaches on things that are for certain. And he's going to be sharing about the spread of the kingdom of God, of salvation that God lovingly offers, and how many will respond to that. But also, even more, will not receive it and reject the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so today we're going to look at the kingdom certainties, the kingdom certainties. And this is what Jesus is going to be laying out here, the kingdom certainties. Again, we're going to be studying Luke chapter 13 from verse uh, 13 through 30. And our outline tonight is this, and this is the three things we're going to see is the large impact, number one. Number two, the limiting factor. And number three, the locked door. So those are the three main things we're going to see in our section tonight. So we begin with number one, the large impact, the large impact. And here we're going to be covering verses 18 through 21 if you're taking notes. But first of all, let's take a look at the first two verses of this section, verse 18 and 19. It reads here, He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like, and to what shall I compare it? It is like, verse 19, a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sold in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And we'll stop right there. So we begin here with Jesus. He's continuing his teaching here. He's, remember, uh, we're coming off of the story last week as he's in the synagogue. If you remember last time, we saw how Jesus compassionately healed a woman who was bent over, right, because of a spirit, an evil spirit, for 18 years, and he, he healed the woman. Well, the leader of the synagogue, the ruler, complained to the people, saying that Jesus went against their legalistic customs of what it means not to work on the Sabbath by, by healing the lady, But Jesus, remember, responded by exposing their hypocrisy. That even they, on the Sabbath, they'll they'll like help their animal, give it food and water in that aspect. And, And so they were in this illegalistic state in the need for compassion. And that was the title of our message, the need for compassion. Well, now with these words, Jesus goes on. 
And, and, and with this incident, he's actually playing off of verse 17, if you remember. The people were then free to rejoice. They were happy that Jesus had healed this woman. And they, they look to Jesus now. Oh, the glory of Jesus. God is here. And in a way, they're excited because here's Jesus bringing in the kingdom. Here's the Messiah. And perhaps to free them from that legalistic oppression. So Jesus now goes on here. Here he is with all that that happened. Jesus now is correcting their kingdom a little bit. Because back then the Jews, all the religious leaders, they felt like the Messiah is going to come in real big take over the Romans and, and suppress all the, 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 the religious leaders who, who are being mean and bad to them. And Jesus is going to take over. But Jesus is correcting their thinking here and saying that the kingdom of God, basically, it's not going to all come at once like maybe you're thinking, but it actually is going to start out small and then grow big. And so that's why Jesus gives this picture, this parable, so to speak, He's saying, like, well, what, what's the kingdom of God really like? Let me, let me illustrate it to you. Let, let me tell you. It's like this mustard seed. Now, the mustard seed is a tiny little black seed. They say it's so small that 20,000 tiny mustard seeds would only make one ounce. That's how small this seed is. So he pulls this illustration using this really tiny, tiny seed. And in the ancient times, they considered a mustard seed as the smallest of all seeds, especially there in the area of, of Israel. There's other seeds that were smaller, but they would use this as illustration. They'll talk this way. And so Jesus is doing the same thing. So he's saying, you know, the kingdom of God is like this tiny, tiny seed, this, this mustard seed. Yet, Everyone knew back then in Israel that this tiny seed can grow into a plant that likes 10 to 12 feet high. It could become this large plant. And technically it's a bush, but you know in the area of Israel, it would grow even into this tree. So here's Jesus saying, you know that tiny mustard seed? This one grew into a huge tree. And it was a tree big enough that even birds were able to make their nests in its branches. So that's a picture. Here's the analogy. Here's what Jesus is saying. The kingdom of God is like that. Now, take note. Some, they see the birds uh, of the air making nests in the tree, symbolizing that there's evil that kind of infiltrates the kingdom of God. And, and it's a good thought because like in the parable of the sower, like we looked at, that's what we saw. The birds of the air came and stole the seeds and stole the word of God from the people of really receiving it. But that's not what this is about here. This whole analogy is about how this small little tree became big, big enough to house birds and give it a home. That, that's really the basic idea. Uh, the birds in the air, birds in the tree, aren't always evil. Ezekiel talked about the Syrians that way. And in Daniel chapter 4, he, uh, Nebuchadnezzar had a vision. And Daniel interpreted it as Nebuchadnezzar was that tree. And it grew and it gave shade to animals. And it was a place for birds to live in. So I believe here in this parable, Jesus isn't necessarily saying that all the evilness is going to come into the kingdom. He's just 
putting out this simple thought. The picture of the mustard seed is, is about this little tiny seed growing into this large tree. It was symbolic to what was happening right now here with Jesus on the scene. In other words, Jesus will have a large impact on the world. It's, all, it's just Jesus and the disciples right now. I mean, think about this. The, the, to the Pharisees and the ruler of the synagogue, Jesus was just this poor, self-proclaimed rabbi with his little 12 misfit disciples. I mean, he's not the disciple. No, I mean, the Messiah. There's, there's no way, no, no way. Remember, as I mentioned, the kingdom of God was, was to come in big. It's supposed to impact. God was going to take over the whole world, impact the world. The Messiah was to come conquering and empowered. But here's Jesus, a no-name guy, born in a manger. What? You know, kind of crazy. Who's this guy? He's nothing. But that was the plan of God. Jesus was to come. Just him, born, born as a, a baby, right? As a human being. So he could grow, teach, and then die on the cross, purchase our salvation, and then he could rise again from the dead. And then he took 12 insignificant men, right? They never went to school or anything. They never went rabbi school or anything like that. They were just disciples of Jesus. And they went out in the book of Acts and changed the whole world. And that was God's plan all along, to just take that, the little seed, the mustard seed, just this starting small, and to grow into something large. So this picture of the mustard seed shows the kingdom of God starts small and grows much larger than expected. That's, that's really the idea. The kingdom of God starts small and grows much larger than expected. That's simply what Jesus was portraying to the people here. He's not here to all of a sudden bring in everything big. He's like, no, the kingdom of God is really, this is God's plan. It's going to start out small with just Jesus and the disciples. You know, I was reading about big companies that started off small. We know the stories like those, that, those companies that actually started in someone's garage, right? Starting off in a garage in Bellevue, Washington, Jeff Bezel sold his first book on his online store. And you know his online store? Amazon, right? Amazon.com. Now it's worth over $1.6 trillion. How about two guys in Los Altos, California, built their own computers in a garage, they, in 1976, they sold 50 units there. Steve Jobs, Steve uh, Wozniak were only 21 years old, 26 years old when they started Apple, which is now the, the biggest, most valuable company. They're worth $2.08 trillion. I mean, crazy. But they started off small, just in a garage. The founders, uh, Larry Page and Sergey Brin, uh, made their garage in Menlo Park, California, their headquarters. They ended up selling this company, but they started a company called Google. You ever heard of them? Oh, I haven't heard of them, no. Yeah, and now they're worth $1.8 trillion. Actually, what, they're called Alphabet or something like that? I was thinking, why? <laughs> Just keep it. But anyway, $1.8 trillion. But that's the idea. God is coming in. Jesus is saying, you know, the kingdom of God, it's going to start off small. It's not like what you think right now. It's starting off small with Jesus and these disciples. But now, look, many have come to be saved in 
Jesus. And that was God's plan all along, to reach people, not just in Israel, but in the whole world. It's going to spread out into the whole world in this manner. Well, he goes on, he gives an, another illustration, picture here in verse 20 and 21. He's, and again he said, To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leaven. So here's another analogy about the kingdom of God. Basically, he's talking about the same thing, about starting small and, and getting big. And here, Jesus said, it's like leaven. Leaven in the Bible is, is yeast, basically. You know, you need yeast to make bread and have the bread rice. So, so it's like this woman, he had yeast, and he put the yeast into three measures of flour. Three measures of flour is equal to, you know what, 50 pounds of flour. But this small little amount of yeast, it permeated the whole, all the flour, all the bread that was made. The yeast was able to get in and make the bread rise. It permeated the whole loaf. And that, that's Jesus' idea. Again, just a little yeast, a little leaven can get into the flour and it could permeate. The, all the flour can go into all the flour make all this bread. Now, take note again, leaven can be either good or bad. Really the idea of leaven is it's it's the influence. Think about leaven being influence. That's really the idea. I mean back if you remember in Luke chapter twelve, Jesus warned the disciples to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, the influence of the religious leaders, how they were in their legalistic ways, how they are into pride and power and making a name for themselves, how they're about themselves, right? About money. Jesus is saying, watch out for their influence. Watch out for their leaven. So leaven could be bad. Many times it is spoken of a bad way. But here, Jesus speaks of the influence of the gospel, right? It makes sense, right? Because leaven, uh, uh, the kingdom of God, he's saying, is like, Leaven. It's not a bad influence. It's a good influence. And it's the influence of the truth of Jesus can be hid in the hearts of people. And that can come out into the world as they share with the world, as they pass it on with the world. And they can influence others to be saved. So the picture of the leaven was symbolic to what was going on here with the gospel, starting with Jesus. Influencing the disciples, and then disciples will go out and influence the whole world. I was reading about when a Jewish girl back then was married, her mother, for a wedding gift, would give her a little yeast, a little leaven from uh, uh, the, the eleven from the batch of dough that was just baked for the wedding, the bread for the wedding. So the, the mother would save that little piece of yeast and give it to the, the, the bride, the daughter who got married. So that with that gift and, and, and these Jewish um, brides, they would treasure that. Because with that yeast, with that leaven, they would use that, right? Take a piece of that to make bread for her household. And that would go on throughout her whole married life, throughout her life. And then she would do the same to her daughter. And so it would be passed on and passed on. It, that little leaven really represented to the Jews uh, the love in the family, the blessing of, of the house and, and uh, of what she grew up in. And now she was passing that down and bringing that into her family. And then that would be passed on. So 
This picture of the leaven in bread shows the kingdom of God, again, starts small, but its influence will be great. So this is what Jesus is portraying here, that the gospel is going to make effect on the whole world, that people's lives are going to be changed. That even though it started here with just Jesus, yeah, in a small way, with just the disciples, in a small way, it's going to end up going out into the world. I mean, today, right, Christianity is one of the major religions in the whole world. And it all started with Jesus. Back then, it wasn't. There was no Christianity, right? But now it's gone out. That's God's plan, starting out small, and the gospel will influence the whole world influence countries, right? I mean, our country was, was founded on biblical principles in many countries. You know, I was just reading um, Hungary uh, kind of prides itself as being a Christian nation. And um, they're like helping people and helping, uh, like, I think it was uh, Afghanistan's, I forget, some country that were in need. I, I, was, I was shocked. I didn't know that. I was reading this article. So the kingdom of God starts small, but its influence will be great. And I think that's how we should be. Sometimes we think, well, I'm just small. I'm nothing. I cannot do nothing. Yeah. But God's plan is to take something small and use it in a great way to make a great influence on the world. And that's what he wants to do with you and I. In, in, in our world, in the places we go, maybe we feel like, who, who am I? I'm nothing. But you know what? Your smile in Jesus, you know, your attitude in Jesus. Maybe just a little word. Maybe just to say, oh, you know what? I'm going to put you on my prayer list. I'm going to pray for you. Maybe that, that says something. Maybe, maybe you get to share, well, you know, this is, this is how I feel about God, or this is what I've learned. This is how, how you know, what, what I've come to see and what the Bible says. Or maybe it's just saying, you know, writing down a promise of Scripture, like, uh, you know, something encouraging. And, and maybe you feel led. Give it to someone who's, who's struggling. Say, um, I, you, know, you could keep this if you want, throw it away. But, you know, I just felt like giving you this. This is from the Bible. It's a promise from God. Sometimes just the littlest things can make a great impact on people's lives. And that's us too. The kingdom of God, it it starts small, but its influence went out, and it was great. I love the story of John Getty. He was a missionary to a South Pacific island, in, uh, one of the islands in, in, in uh, Van, Vanuatu. It was an island called Anatom. After 24 years of labor and toil, sharing the gospel, preaching the word, he died in 1872. On a plaque in the church that he planted there, it says this. When he landed in 1848, there were no Christians. When he left in 1872, there were no heathen. I love that. I love it. Just him going there, doing his best, he influenced the whole island for Jesus Christ. And I think that's the way we should be. And so the gospel is spread like that, one by one, from us quote-unquote, little guys, you know. I mean, it's not just a pastor that does it or a great evangelist, but it's you and I in our everyday life. And that is a kingdom certainty. So, number one, the large impact. Let's go to number two, a limiting factor, a limiting factor. Now, we're going to look here at verse 22 through 24. We're going to take uh, these verses here. Let's read them. 
Verse 22, he went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. Here we see Jesus, um, while Luke writing, now the story's going on. Jesus, he went on his way through towns and villages. So he was journeying here. He's making his way, doing his ministry, healing, teaching, preaching, sharing with people. He was journeying toward where? Jerusalem. So here the writer Luke reminds us, remember his mission? Remember he had shared with disciples the last chapter or so about, hey, I got to head toward Jerusalem. Because that's my mission. To get to Jerusalem, I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be put upon the cross and die. And that was his mission, to die on a cross for our sins. So he's heading that way. So Luke is reminding us of that. So on his way in one of these towns or villages, someone comes up to him and asks him, Lord, will only a few be saved? Now, what is he saying here? What's this guy asking, right? Kind of a strange question actually if you really think about there's only a few people going to be saved you think well what are you trying to say here well back then it would make sense because this was a common topic of theological discussion it was something people talked about see when he asked this question it was more in context of how the jews felt they were like the privileged few yeah, they were the favored ones, and that they were all they would all be saved. So it's like this guy's asking what it was the topic, it was a theological conversation that rabbis would say, and so here this guy coming up to Jesus say, What do you think about this? But it was like he's asking this Hey Jesus, how many people will really be saved in the end? Is it just gonna be us Jews? That's that's really what he's saying. And this was the topic of conversation. And the Jews were like, well, yeah, of course we're saved. You know, of course we're going to be in there. But will anyone else be? Well, you know, that was, that was the theological discussion going on. Well, interesting, Jesus answered, right, in verse 24. He said, strive to enter through the narrow door. The New King James says gate. But the original word is really talking about a door. So he says, strive. In other words, make this great effort. Do all you can or put your attention on making sure you're going through this narrow door. Now, Jesus isn't talking about doing some works to be saved. You know, we understand that. The Bible doesn't say that. We are saved through faith in Christ, right? But what he's saying is, put your concentration on this. Put, put your effort on, on, on making sure that you're, you're, you're going through this narrow door door. This narrow door really is talking about a specific door. It's the only door that that will have you saved. You got to get through this door to be saved. That that's really the idea of what Jesus is saying. Strive at that. Really focus in on that. Really put effort in understanding that and and get through that narrow door of salvation. And he says, "You know why? Cuz many they seek to enter the door like yeah, I'm, I, I, I want to be saved. I want to have salvation. I'll be really saved. You know, I'll be able to go heaven and all that. Many seek to enter the door to salvation, but they fail. They're not able to go through it. They fail at that. So Jesus 
it's really saying this in other words. Look, the issue is, is not will there only, the issue is not will there only be a few people saved. The real question is, are you really part of the ones who are saved? That's what he's really putting forth to this person. Yes, not all will be saved, but understand that narrow door to salvation is. What is that narrow door? There's a limiting factor here of who is saved. And you know, you know what that is? Jesus, right? Jesus. That's the only way. Jesus is the door. Jesus is the gate. Jesus is the only way to be saved. John 14, 6. Remember, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's a pretty narrow door, right? Only through Jesus. Do you understand why there's, there's, there is no um, uh, real truth to, oh, all roads lead to God. You know, all religions can bring you to God. Or, you know, it's just whatever you want, you feel like, but we're going to all make it to heaven. No, no. Or, or all the religions need to coexist like that bumper sticker, right? But they cannot, because Christianity cannot coexist with any other religion, because Jesus said, I'm the only door. Not Muhammad, not Islam, not Buddhism, nothing. Only Jesus Christ. Nothing else. Jesus is the only way to be saved. He's that narrow door. So Jesus, like many's going to seek salvation, many's going to seek to enter that door of salvation. But they're not going to be able to go through because they're not going to really embrace Jesus as that only door. So here's what Jesus is saying. He's telling this, this person, don't fool yourself and think you're okay. But make sure you have salvation that is based on faith in Jesus Christ. That, that's really what it's about here. That's really the point here. You know, many years ago, I was um, speaking at uh, um, I was a missions pastor many years ago, and, I, and we had a regular missions meeting. And um, I was I was going to share at this meeting, I was conducting, it, and I was excited about this message the the Lord had given me. And 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 after worship, and I said a few announcements, I looked down at my notes, you know, and all of a sudden I realized I had brought the wrong notes. <laughs> It was it was the notes from the month before, the meeting before. I'm like, oh my gosh. And I don't know if you guys had that moment. It's like, I was like, oh, I was freezing. My brain was freezing. I didn't know what to say. I didn't know what to think. I was like, oh my gosh. I, I, I made a mistake and brought the, the, the wrong notes. And, and so I was trying to remember what I had written down in my other notes and what I was going to talk about and the scripture and I just fumbled through the whole thing and then the meeting ended early <laughs> kind of thing and 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 I, I was like oh forget it you know I thought I had them but I didn't I thought I was prepared but I wasn't so since that day I always make sure what I have <laughs> so that doesn't happen again I mean it, it's like it's like, you know when you when when you're talking in front of people doing public speaking and you don't have your notes <laughs> that you prepare all of a sudden it's, you feel like you're you're like caught naked or something you know it's it's crazy but sometimes we think oh we get them or sometimes we think uh-uh we, we know but we're not prepared 
And we really don't have what we really need. And that's what Jesus is saying. Many people are going to think, well, I'm okay. Yeah, I believe in God. Yeah. You know, everyone becomes an angel when they die. That's what I heard. Yeah. People grasp on that and rely upon that. And they think they'll enter into heaven that way. Right? What? You say it's only Jesus? No, no, that's not right. Someone told me this, or my parents said this. Yeah. No, Jesus said this, not me. That He's the only way. Take a moment, uh, turn to the left to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. Matthew 7. Look at verse 13 and 14. Matthew 7, verse 13 and 14. Jesus said a similar thing here. He said in Matthew 7, 13, Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. He's talking about the same thing. There's only one way to heaven. That's Jesus Christ. There's only one way. And that's the narrow gate. Wide is the other ways. Oh yeah, it's okay. You, all you need to do is this and you can go to heaven. Or, or just... just Give your tithe and you'll go to heaven. Just just do more good things than bad things. But remember, one sin, right, will send us to hell. One sin. And we, any good works we try and do, anything we try and redeem ourselves, it, it, it cannot. Only Jesus Christ can. So it's a narrow door, a narrow gate. So make sure you're on the right path. Make sure that you have Jesus in your heart, that it's Jesus, and you're ready for whenever that time may come, when it's time for you to go to heaven. That's a kingdom certainty here Jesus is presenting. All right, let's go to number three, the locked door. The locked door. You're going to, this is our last section here from verse 25 through 30. And here he says, from verse 25 to 29, he says, When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at that door, saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you, I do not know you. I do not know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence. You taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God. But you yourselves are cast out. And people will come from east and west, from north and south, and recline at table in the kingdom of God. We'll stop there. All right, so Jesus slides right into this other picture now, another parable, you can say. This is a picture of this banquet that the master of the house had. And, and the idea is God is the master, and he put together this, this big family feast, 
And one day there will be the marriage supper of the Lamb, where we will feast in heaven all together with God. So God has put together this big feast, and, and it started. And when it started, the door is shut. It's locked, and no one can get in. So Jesus puts out this picture, master of house, having this banquet, shut the doors. And, then, and he says, you guys, you, you guys come, and, and you, you try. You, you want to enter. You want to come in. But the master of, of the house will answer you and say, I do not know where you come from. And there's, I don't know you guys. I know I, wh- where, where, where you come from. Where, who are you guys? We're going to see four things here. And the first thing is that these people, and Jesus is talking to the Jewish nation, right? Jesus is saying, number one, they assume they knew God and God knew them. That's what we see, first of all. They assume they knew God and God knew them. These people come to the door, hey, let us in. God, it's us. It's us. Master of the house, it's us. Let us in. They assume they knew God and God knew them. See, as I mentioned, some people think that, well, just because they believe that, oh, it's okay, I'll get into heaven. But the kingdom of heaven is based on Jesus. And it's based on how Jesus made the way for us to enter. And when we come to be saved, what do we have? We have a relationship with God. No Jesus, no relationship. And that means God does not know you he does not know you to be one of his children so that's why it's like i don't know where you guys from who who are you guys you're not one of my kids yeah i don't know you i don't really know you so here these guys they assume they knew god and god knew them think about the jews sitting there think about the religious leaders hearing this yeah no we know god but Jesus saying look if you don't go through that narrow gate when the door shut yeah, that when you go, if you don't go through the narrow door, if you don't come through Jesus, you don't really have a relationship with God. They assumed they knew God, and God knew them, but actually God did not have a relationship with them or know them. The second thing we see is this. They assume hanging around Jesus was enough. Just hanging around Jesus was enough. Verse 26 and 27 Jesus says, then you guys are going to say, hey, we, we ate and drank in your presence. Look, we, we, we were around when, when you had meals, Jesus. You, you know, we, we, we were with you. We, we were there. We were part of the crowd. We, we were in the streets when, when you taught there. We were part of the crowd. We were there. Remember, we were sitting there while you were teaching. But then Jesus is like, I'll say to you, I do not know where you come from, depart from me, all you workers of evil. Oh. They didn't really believe because they didn't want to repent of their sin. So they were workers of evil. So just sitting, just your presence, just you, you sitting in Bible studies or being there, right, um, in events or, or all that, it does not replace personal faith. Personal faith. In Jesus. Just showing up doesn't mean that you're a Christian. It's been said, going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. I like that one, right? 
right? So just coming in, sitting in church doesn't make you a Christian. It's personal faith, right? So these guys assume, well, we, we're hanging around. And that's enough. I'll, I'll get into heaven that way. Jesus saying, no, not at all. Here's the third thing. They assume having a Jewish heritage was enough to save you. Look at verse 28. It says, in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What's that place? Hell. There'll be weeping because there's a lot of suffering going on. There'll be gnashing of teeth. I kind of picture like regret. Yeah, oh man, I, I didn't believe. I didn't accept Jesus. And, and just a lot of suffering and, and regret going on. And he says there, afar off, they're, they're going to see Abraham, the, the fathers of the nation, right? Jacob, Isaac, Jacob, all the prophets. Um, they're going to see that they're cast out of their presence. And so, in a sense, Jesus is saying, you're going to see Abraham guys, they're going to be in the saved group, but you guys aren't going to be in the saved group. And you're going to realize, whoa, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, all the prophets, they looked in faith to Jesus. They believed in that sense to the Messiah that was to come, where these guys had rejected. And they're going to see the fathers, right, of their race, the, the, their, the, their descendants of Abraham, right? They're going to see, wait, they're, they're, they're over there and we're cast off? Why is that? They're going to face the truth, the shocking truth, that just being a Jew, a descendant of Abraham, is not enough to save you. So they assume having a Jewish heritage was enough to save. But no, Abraham, Jacob, all the prophets, they believed and looked to Jesus, the Messiah that was to come. It's not enough that you grew up in a Christian home to save you. It's not enough that, well, my parents are Christians, so hey, when you stand before Jesus, you can't say, oh, my mom and dad were Christians, you know. Yeah. I went, I went to church all the time. You know, they made me go to church. No, it has to be that personal faith. So it's not that just the heritage that will save you. Number four, they assume they were the privileged few, but they were really the dishonored ones. They assume they were the privileged few, but they were really the dishonored ones. Verse 29 and people will come from east and west, from north and south, and recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And then verse 30, And behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. So here Jesus is talking about that the people who have come into this banquet, they've actually come from east and west, north and south, and they're in this banquet. They're in the master's house. They're reclining at the table. Remember when they eat, they recline back then, right? And then he adds in the kingdom of God. This is really talking about the kingdom of God going into heaven, being saved. And so who are these people that have come from east, west, north, and south? You know what? Jesus is talking about Gentiles. That's what he's talking about. People from all around the world are coming into the kingdom. These Gentiles have come. And so he says, Behold, some are last who will be first. Who's the last? The Gentiles. That's who he's talking about. The Jews thought these guys are nothing. They're the last ones. They're nothing. We're the special ones. We're the first ones. 
They are the last one. They're the leftovers. That's what he's saying. But he's saying, you know what? Some of these last, some of these Gentiles, they're actually going to be the first one. They're going to be the first to be at the table. They're going to be the saved ones. And some are first who will be last. Who's the first one? The Jews. They're going to be ending up being last. In other words, not saved, not entering in. Yes, some will make it in the end. I believe the nation will be saved, but many will not make it. So remember, they're thinking, well, we're the favored ones. We're us Jews. We're the ones we're going to get into heaven, no problem, because we're Jews. We're the favored one. They assumed they were the privileged few, right? What, only a few going to be saved, Jesus? But they were really the dishonored ones. It's interesting in Acts 13, Paul and Barnabas, they came to Antioch of Pisidia. They preached, they went into the synagogue, they preached to the Jews, but then they were rejected. They were like, no, we don't want any of that. And so when they were, Paul and Barnabas were rejected, they rejected the gospel, the message of Jesus. In Acts 13, 46, Paul said this, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, speaking to the Jews. Since you thrust it aside and judge yourself unworthy of eternal life, behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. And you know what happened? The Gentiles in that city, says in Acts 13, they rejoiced. They got all happy. Oh, they embraced the gospel. They embraced Jesus while the Jews rejected Jesus. And so the first became last, and the last became first. In verse um, 48 of that chapter, says, And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading throughout the whole region. Salvation went out to the Gentiles, and they came from the east and the west and the north and the south. Now we know later during the tribulation, Israel will once again turn to, turn to God. We've been talking about that on Sunday. And they'll come to believe in Jesus and be saved, like in Zechariah 12.10 it says, And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, on him who they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one who mourns for an only child and weep bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. Some will come. Eventually the nation will be there. But they're going to mourn that they had rejected Jesus. And in a way, they were like the last, right? In that sense, in coming to Jesus. Certainly the first shall be last and the last shall be first. Though the Jews may be late arrivers, when it comes to believing in Jesus Christ, isn't this great? God still accepts them. God's still going to reach out to them. God is still going to be there. For anyone who totally trusts in Jesus will be saved. That's God's heart. That's God's grace. But remember, it's about the work of Jesus. That what he's done. That we cannot do. Uh, we cannot do things to help us get into heaven. There's nothing we can do. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, right? For by grace you have been saved through faith. That is not of your 
own doing. It's not of your own works. It's a gift of God, not, a, not the result of, of works, anything that we've done, so no one will boast. It's what God has done. It's what Christ has done. And, and that's what's important to understand here. That's the kingdom certainty, that we can be certain to be saved, to be forgiven, to have a new life in Christ, to have a relationship with God when we come to Jesus Christ. That's why it's so important that Jesus is the center, that, that we come through the blood, through the cross. Maybe you're here tonight and, and you've struggled with sin. Maybe you're connected online and, and you're struggling with something. It's sin, your flesh. Maybe it, it's, it's hard. The flesh is like, oh, it's like controlling you. It's hard to break free. But know this, Jesus died on the cross, rose again from the dead to free you from that sin. And he wants to bring victory into your life. Don't be condemned. Don't let the guilt just bury you. Don't let Satan press down on you, condemn you, say, God doesn't want to work in your life no more. Know that Jesus loves you and he died on a cross to save you from your sins. And it's nothing that you can do, but it's all that what Christ has done. Remember when Christ was on the cross and, and, and one of his last words was, it is finished. Yeah. In other words, he paid for it all, everything. You don't have to add anything to what he's done. If, if you try and do some good works to, to be saved, say, well, I'm going to believe in Jesus, I'm going to try and do this and, 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 and help my salvation, then you're saying what Jesus did is not enough. That's why it's important we just, we just believe what Christ has done. And with that, we have the certainty. You guys, This is what Jesus is saying. He's the only door. He's, he's the only way. We have the certainty that we can be saved. That we know if we are to die, we're going to be in heaven. We, we don't have to... I've asked people who come to church here. Let me ask you. Do you know you're going to go to heaven? Well, I, I think so. It's like, wait, what? No. You don't understand what Jesus has done. It's no more I think so. It's more I know so because I believe in Jesus and what he's done in my life. That's what it's about. I'll close with this. That's a certainty. I'll close with this. Long ago, E. Wilton, this evangelist, was packing up after his last evangelistic meetings, and a young man ran into the room, desperately asked him, Mr. Wilton, Mr. Wilton, what, what, I, what must I do to be saved? And the preacher looked at him and said, Too late. The young man was like, What? Wait, wait, please, please, don't say that. Surely, uh, it's not because I came late to this meeting or, or, you know, and you're packing up and everything. Wooten replied, it's too late, I tell you. You're hundreds of years too late. See, the work of salvation is done, completed, finished on the cross. What more can you do? I love that. I love that. It's not what you do. It's what Christ has done. And that's why salvation comes by faith, believing in what Christ has done. It's all based on the work of Jesus. 
And so salvation can be sure, certain in our life. And this is all the kingdom certainties. Let's pray. Lord, uh, I pray for anyone here tonight or who is connected who has not really come to this place to truly believe that you have done everything, God, when you died on the cross. Perhaps there's still this feeling that they have to do something to be saved in order to go to heaven, that they got to follow some certain ritual or, or be good or, or, or do something to make up for their bad. Lord, help them understand that we obey you because that's who we are now as new creations, that we obey your word because that's the person we are and who you made us out to be. But to be saved, to have eternal life, to have a future with you in heaven, it's only because of you, Jesus. And I pray that you would clear any misunderstanding in this and that you would free them from the legalism of trying to live by good works to find favor in you. That, that's how the people were in Israel at this point. But Jesus, you were teaching them to trust in you, to rely upon your work, to find forgiveness, complete forgiveness in the blood that you shed on the cross. And Lord, perhaps not really coming to this understanding, whoever is hearing this in the sound of my voice, perhaps they're not really seeing. But this is the moment. And Lord, I pray that they would just pray that simple prayer to say, Dear Jesus, forgive me for my sins. I believe in you and in your work when you died on the cross. Cleanse me by your blood. Forgive me and make me new. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and help me to live for you now. In Jesus' name. Lord, I pray that someone pray that prayer, maybe someone in here, that the reality of what it means to be a Christian to your spirit is clear now. And I pray that each one of us here tonight would be able to leave the past behind, would be able to find victory in the power of your blood and your resurrection, and that we would be able to walk in the Spirit, not in the flesh, and that we would be able to truly, truly live for you as we surrender our heart and our life to you. And Help us to do that, God. Because we see tonight that certainly, for sure, your kingdom is real and it's being spread and we want to be part of that. And for sure, the certainty of the kingdom that one day we will be with you and many won't. So Lord, help us to be certain of you, Jesus, in our life, God. Thank you. Thank you for being here. Thank you for your word. Thank you for speaking clearly to our hearts tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.